I'm with Wayne for the Midweek Pod. How are you, Wayne? Doing good for a Thursday? Been working myself like a dog to make sure that all the things I want to get finished on Friday, I can get finished on Friday. You know how people want to get all their affairs in order? Not before the ultimate calling, but before the turn of the month. The ultimate calling. That sounds like Eric going, Wayne, you're on son. Yeah. <laughs> Up front. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about which holy deity you may profess to pledge your allegiance to. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't of any, but um, all that will be if there's something better. Hey, I'm destined for there. I will believe in Jehovah, God, Allah, Buddha. If Eric wants to give me 10 minutes on the pitch at Old Trafford, all of oh, them. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If that, I mean, uh, that ultimate, not me. I think my, my knees are... Um, my contribution to Manchester United is better spent talking rubbish with yourself and, and writing <laughs> rubbish books yeah. and all that sort of stuff. The, the January thing, I, I was trying to finish this archive, uh, this um, digitising of, of the archive that I've got, and I thought I'd done it. I, I got the last set of mini-discs out, and I thought, all right, by ja- the end of January 31st, it's all going to be done. So triumphantly, once it was all done, I took the last box back into the big box only to see that there was another box of mini discs, which has been annoyed me so much that I really shouldn't have had it done by by this soon at the start of February. Because we're on the eighth, I was just checking the date there. I really shouldn't have had it done this soon, but I've worked so hard to make sure that I get it done. And the last, I'm down to the last four, and I can there might be some gold in there. What's on. Well, right. I'll tell you what's on. What was on today's menu? And by the way, this Ferguson. is the Tom Tyrrell tapes that you've mentioned before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tom, T- Tom Tyrrell archive. So all this is from United 86 to 2011, 12. So these ones, uh, the missing discs were from 2001 to 2003. And I was starting to wonder why am I not seeing a lot of content in there? Golden period. Yes. Yeah, Read so, up front. Well, what? Yeah, 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 exactly. What I listened to earlier was Ferguson's U-turn on his retirement. Oh, I yeah. Listen to that. On on the four discs for tomorrow, Fergie after Real Madrid in 2003 to Charlton at home. So that's winning the league, but also losing in the Champions League. Ferguson pre-Real Madrid away, so I presume he'll be happier in that one. Cup exit in February 2003, so this will be when Beckham gets the boot at his head. <laughs> and 14th of April to 2020. 4th of April 2003, so some miscellaneous Fergie stuff in there as well. Nice. So, a nice little period. It'll be entertaining for me for what is most definitely the final run of the mini discs. But Nice. Um, well, I you were say, saying off air, it's more than 700 hours of stuff, so that is a, that's a hell of a lot of material, yeah. including, if people caught it, Tom Tyrrell talking to many of the, the Munich survivors about about the crash, which, you know, the anniversary was on the 6th, a couple of days ago, usual sort of commemorations at Manchester Platz in, in Munich and at the, the plaque at Old Trafford, which Fergie and Big Sir Jim attended. Yep. Fergie shuffling along, he's still with us, uh, although looking quite old, I'd say. I suppose he is quite old. And you also, you helped put together the Manchester United podcast, which is always excellent, by the way. I mean, I, I suppose I shouldn't. Big up the the official stuff, Pravda as we used to call it, but it was a really excellent podcast this week with some of the Tom Tyrrell material narrated by Paddy Barkley, just with the voices of some of those survivors. Yeah, yeah, 
Jackie Blanchflower, Bill Folks, and Albert Scanlon um, talk about the memories of the Babes as a team. Scanlon in particular is great talking about all of the players. He actually sounds like he's been plucked from one of the streets around Old Trafford because his voice is so distinctively yeah. Salford that he's the sort of homegrown. He's a, the old players were homegrown. All three of them were homegrown, but he's the voice that places it in in Salford really. And he talks with some kind of worship of all of the players that he played with. And then you've got obviously the events. So they talk about the European adventures and. Then it gets obviously very, very emotional. Bill Folks, the way that he speaks about the crashes is devastating, really. He speaks about it so bluntly. And then you've got Blanche Flower, who is he's funny. He's got a dry sense of humour, so you're laughing with him. But then when the sadness hits in his voice, that's the real heartbreak in it. And then a couple of funny stories about and they are funny stories about what happened in the hospital after mm. after the crash. Scanlon talks about wanting to what, uh, listen to United play games and, and wanting to get some Coca-Cola, which I won't ruin the story. It's quite funny in there. Uh, but he's obviously working through the entire archive itself is a privilege, but going over something like this to produce something like this is... Um, it's different because obviously um, a different for United as well for, to put out, and I'm very very honoured that United did put it out. That it's something that's quite close to the bone in terms of um, this isn't like a cookie cutter. The crash happened, Harry Greg went to rescue them, and, and United fought on and everything like that. This is very very raw. It's very yeah. emotional. I, I will say one of the things which I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to happen over the last week was when the decision was made to put the podcast out, we obviously wanted to run it by the family members of the deceased, or now deceased, the survivors on the tape who are, who are now deceased. So I meant contacting their sons, um, Greg Scanlon, Andy Blanchflower, and Stephen Folks. So I spoke to all those guys because United asked me to put something together for the website as well. Yeah, say, yeah. introduce what the podcast was and, and make sure that everyone knew that the, the families were aware of this and were happy with it and as you can expect it's been a long time since those families those sons had heard those interviews in yeah. fact not ever though they had those interviews it's been a long time since they'd heard their fathers speak like that if they had at all greg said that he never had and andy said that he never had and Stephen, you know, he said that it's, it's weird to, and Stephen Folks sounds exactly like Bill Folks, which is, his voice is exactly the same. It's very, very off-putting, really. It's unsettling, unnerving how, how much he sounds like him. But they were all, obviously, they were very emotional, but they were very supportive of it to come out as well, which is just as well, considering that I'd made it and then waiting for them to say, hopefully, that they liked it. And obviously, I'm always in dialogue with Tom Tyrrell's family as well, his daughter, Angie who's been very supportive and want, wanting a lot of Tom's work to come out. So this is the first thing, for this to be the first thing that comes from the archive. I mean, mm. there's going to be a lot more, hopefully on your podcast as well, on this podcast, because I'll be sharing some of it um, in, in due course. But for, for this to be the first thing that came out, which was kind of unexpected because I've made a couple of little things as well, it was obviously a big thing. And, yeah. Um, so it's been nice that they were all supportive of it. They made it because of because of that because it was quite late in the day. 
made it a very emotional weekend. And they always, I mean, Munich's an emotional day anyway, especially uh, not more so for me. I'm not placing myself at the top of any order, but because I've, I've worked with Duncan Edwards' family and, and um, Jimmy Murphy's family, and I, I know all of them closely now, you feel it in a different kind of way because you're wanting to make sure that everyone is, that you're paying respects to all of the people in the right, right kind of way. And so it was already a kind of emotional um, build up to it. But for this to be like thrown in the last minute was made it quite, quite difficult actually to be yeah. there. But then you put it out and everyone's responded very nicely and very kindly so far. So yeah, it's, it's rewarding in that aspect. I just hope that people listen to it and think I've le- I've learned something different. And even if it is difficult, that it's a rewarding experience yeah. than listening to it. Yeah, no, and and Patrick Barkley adds a, adds some gravitas to the production. It's not overproduced. It's it's nice that it's just we're listening to the voices really, and I uh, thought that added uh, added a lot to the day and some new, as you say. In terms of yeah. the actual commemorations, large cloud crowd at uh, Manchester Platz in Munich, as as there always is, um, but. Uh, there's a good report in The Athletic from Andy Mitten about that and the people that were there who come from all over, uh, yeah. including many locals who you keep it up. And then and then the ceremony at the plaque at Old Trafford, yeah. which Sir Jim attended, I guess his first sort of official act, although they've had the whole team in there all week, I think. Certainly get the yeah. impression that the NES team are really ticking up their involvement at Manchester United at the moment um, with yeah. the board ratification of the deal 99 point something percent vote for it unsurprising um, I, I'm, I was kind of wondering who voted no it's none of the major actors involved yeah Joel suddenly has a yeah. U-turn yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we'll get Premier League ratification at some point but uh, yeah good to, good to see Big Sir Jim uh, at the ceremony so I'm not sure if he's been to one before uh, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have thought so. And I think a few people made comments about, you know, like the Glazers not having been there before. But I think, considering the timing of everything, it made sense. I'm not dismissing the fact that he, he was there. Not Brailsford was there as well, alongside Sir Alex. It's a long time. Cause those ceremonies, by the way, and I was there. It was very cold. It was raining nonstop. It was pretty bad rain, and the ceremony for for that goes on longer than what it has done in the past. It, it usually starts at, it used to start about quarter three and then finish just after five past three. They, they do a rendition of Flowers of Manchester. And they're adding things to it. And I guess it's because the ceremony itself becomes bigger over time. But um, I, I think probably from my recollection, Fergie was probably stood there for a good 45 minutes in the cold and rain. Um, my knees were... Um, sort of freezing up, so I can't imagine what his were like. Um, I'm not making this an episode about my knees, by the way. I, I complained about them earlier. Ooh, my knees, uh, they were there. my back. I know. I know, right. Um, but they were, I mean, they were there for a long time, but um, I, I'm. it's nice that he, Ratcliffe was there and Brailsford was there. I can't imagine why they wouldn't have been, though, considering yeah, the fact yeah. that this is... I, I, I'm not going to say PR, because I don't mean it like that because they're there and they're showing the face. That's the main thing. And it's nice for that. But it would have felt like a a misstep if they weren't there. And so far, everything doesn't seem to... They seem to have got everything banged on so far. 
Well, it's it's bus from Failsworth to to Old Trafford. It's a bit tricky. You probably have to change a couple of times. Don't you? Know, it's a good hours trip for Big Sir Jim there. Yeah. So, or yeah. maybe the private jet from Monaco. I'm not sure which one he which mode of transport he took. It. Anyway, yeah. No, all yeah. all very respectful and and in the right kind of tone. And yeah. you know, congrats on the the podcast and the piece on on uh, Man United. I thought it hit all the right notes. And so, if uh, any listeners haven't quite got round to listening to that, it's well worth an hour of your time. Um, yeah, thank you. All right, so that's uh, that's the Munich commemorations. There were a few pieces in the Telegraph this week, three I think, about potential changes to Old Trafford, and of course this has been discussed a fair bit already. I think it's overplayed a little bit that Old Trafford is about to fall over, uh, yeah. but clearly it's a hundred and something year old stadium with modern updates and modifications and all of that. So. The question on the minds of the Ineos team appears to be, at least um, from James Ducker's reporting, um, whether to refurbish Old Trafford to something of the standard that is happening at Barcelona and has happened really well at Real Madrid and increase the size of the stadium or build something brand new on the same sort of footprint or just moved to the east a little bit, west a little bit in the plot of land. Yeah. And there's plenty of land for it as well, actually. While while there hasn't been a lot of yeah. development at Old Trafford, um, the Glazers have been buying up land over the years, and so United own quite a lot around there now. So, yeah, yeah and, and the reporting is kind of interesting. People haven't, it's behind, behind a paywall, so people haven't seen it. Uh, basically, the first piece says there are these two options. They're dis- discussing it. Big Sir Jim would like a, quote-unquote, wow stadium. Well, like, Ed, what? Why big Sir Jim? Why big Jim? Is it just? Yeah. Is it just that it le- lends itself to it? Big Jim, big Jim. Well, he's Sir, isn't he? So you got to be respectful to that. Knight of the realm. No, Tom. Podcast Tom host called him Big Sir Jim. I haven't stopped calling him that since. He's, right. He, okay. He, he's also really tall. tall. He's like six foot six. He is quite tall. Yeah. 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 He's tall. Yeah. Yeah. So he's big, and he's Sir, uh, and he's and he's Jim. So, you know, I think it's okay. all correct. Yeah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't complain. All right. All right. I'll give him a buzz no. later, see if he's all right with it. <laughs> and, yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, Sir James Ratcliffe, Esquire, um, <laughs> and his team. So there's, yeah, it, like, it was dubbed the, the, the Wembley of the North, which I found personally offensive because yeah. Wembley's a concrete hole. And I hate it as a stadium. Yeah. It's one of the really awful modern stadiums with absolutely no soul whatsoever. And and that's the thing I worry about because I, I I do yeah. think if you look at the numbers that building a new stadium is more logical than refurbishing the current one because of the total disruption there would be for years on end in complete refurbishment. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Spain, Barcelona have had to move to Montjuic, which is quite a distance from their current stadium, half the size, and the fans hate it. I'm not surprised it's up a bloody great hill. I've, yeah. I've actually been to that stadium. It's not particularly nice either. Uh, and Real Madrid were dead lucky, if this is the right term, that their plans for development happened during the pandemic. And so they had a whole year when they couldn't play at, at the Bernabeu yeah. anyway. Yeah. But each of them has cost hundreds of millions to do those developments. Now, I think it's 500 million euros for Real Madrid and even more for Barcelona because they're, they're actually reconfiguring the, the stadium. So these yeah. are the, these are the, the the 
the options at hand. Probably spend a few hundred billion to increase the size of Old Trafford, reskin it, sort the roof out, upgrade the facilities, or or maybe double that for a brand new stadium on land that's already owned. Could be finance would pay for itself. Basically, we've seen with Tottenham, yeah. it pays for itself. So those are the options. So, and what are your thoughts? Okay. No, Ed, I'm going to go on to a long rant. So yeah, I do please, do. I mean, and it's please not, do. It's not a rant. Um, it's a long <laughs> warble. A I'll, I'll strap warble. in. I'll strap in. And, yeah. But, but before I do that, before I do that, tell me your thoughts on, on what you would like to see. Listeners will not be surprised that I, I'm fairly analytical. So the head says it just makes more sense to build a brand new stadium. Uh, it will be quicker. We don't lose... Um, any any fans for long periods of time um, it's going to put the club in a financially stronger position it can be financed outside of the current club it won't be debt that sits on our books yeah. it'll be a development company and we'll have a stadium for another 100 years that takes United into the future and it's the best for the club all round that's my view, that's the head the heart says I've had many fantastic memories at Old Trafford over the years and so is everyone else listening to this around the world yeah. it, it's a it's a special place despite the leaking roof and the cramped seating and the lack of executive facilities and the fact that you can't roll the pitch out or put the roof on or whatever, whatever modern stadiums give you and all yeah. of that emotion will be lost in a sense if, if Old Trafford goes even if the brand new stadium is plonked next door and I'm sure there are Spurs fans who feel that I'm sure yeah. there are Arsenal fans who feel that because both those stadiums are very close to the the old stadiums. Probably there's City fans that miss Main Road, the absolute shithole that it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, so those are my thoughts. I think that's it's logic over history and emotion. Sentiment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you are probably going to think, think, are you going to surmise that Wayne with his nostalgic head on? is for keeping the stadium. And to some extent, I am. But I'm wrestling with it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because people will be listening to this and they're in the two camps, like you've just said. There's a division between logic and sentiment. Well, I am here to tell you that if you have a thought on one or the other, it doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you unaware of what United's history is yeah. to make you unconnected with it. And I'll tell you why. No, I'm not going to mansplain it to you, Ed. I don't <laughs> no, mean it like do. that. What I mean is... I, what I mean is, you I've, can't see I've, you on camera, but you manspreading as well. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing that. Um, okay, so this is the thing. Like, there are two, two strands for United. The first one is... The nostalgia and tradition of Manchester United connected to Old Trafford, which stretches back, like I said, over a century now. 1909, 1910, when it opened. And throughout that time, it's been home to United's most famous team. It was the home for, well, it was the home for the Busby Babes. It was the venue where, of the, of the, of the two most emotional nights in Manchester United history, which were, well, one was an afternoon, same at Busby's passing the Everton game, and mm -hmm. the, the other game was the Sheffield Wednesday game. It's been a venue that has been bombed and survived and rebuilt. Yeah. And 
all of United's great teams have played there, even going back to the first great team that won the title in 1910, because those were all the same players that that was United's first great team. So all of United's greatest days, um, apart from their actual birth, were have been played in Old Trafford. But the other side of me looks at it from a different traditional viewpoint. And that viewpoint is that United have always outgrown their home and they've moved stadium. They've done that. I say always. The initial plans for Old Trafford were to be a 100,000 capacity stadium and that was the idea put in place by Davies when he financed the stadium that eventually would end. This is a time when United were getting 30,000, so where they got the idea they'd be able to fill it with 100,000. It was, it was daydreaming, but it was a daydream. yeah, it was a daydream inherited by Busby because he, he firmly believed that and they wanted to make it into a grand palace, especially so when they saw what happened. Well, when they saw the rebuilding of the old Trafford and cause Gibson worked so hard on the infrastructure, making sure that fans could get there to improve attendances. And then when Busby was there and he saw the Bernabeu, he wanted United to be a, a uh, you know, Palace in England, just the same way. And then, obviously, the uh, Munich happened and it affected United's finances and then they were more concentrated with building a team to compete and all that kind of thing. And then over the years, it's undergone so many refurbishments that I, there are people who say that it's unrecognisable to the 70s and 80s. Even going back when I started going to Old Trafford in the 90s, it's fairly unrecognisable oh, yeah. to that. Well, uh, obviously, the Stratford end came down. Um, when yeah. I first, first started going to Old Trafford, I, I don't know why this is the case, but I, I used to sit at the back of the Stratford end because obviously it was mostly standing, but there's a little square of seats there. Yeah. And I used to be in that. That's changed. I used to be standing alongside what is now the North Stand. That's obviously all changed. I mean, actually, the, the concrete in the, the, the first lower tier, that's from 1909, basically, I think. Everything above it yeah. was rebuilt. Most of the K stand was rebuilt, and the South stand's pretty much original. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. So, the players, the players don't come out of the same tunnel that got no, moved right. in '93. Yeah, and then there's the other side of it, which is, and going on to one of my earlier podcast monologues about the history of owners and, and James Gibson's benevolence to Manchester United. Whenever we have had a benevolent owner, they have usually gifted something extravagant. In the case of Davis, it was a stadium. In the case of Gibson, it was complete and utter servitude with the wealth, which uh, mm-hmm. it would have been the complete redevelopment of a stadium. And it was really because of the money that he put into making sure that Old Trafford was rebuilt af- out the- after the war. Most of that... Yes, some of it came from the War Commission, the, the compensation that they got, but a lot of it was from Gibson's own pocket as well, and all the redevelopments that came afterwards. And what what is there to say that why shouldn't Jim Ratcliffe? Yes, all right, with some help from the government's um, schemes, but maybe but yeah, we'll they, come on to that. Yeah, but what I'm saying is why why shouldn't it be the case that Ratcliffe gifts Manchester United a new stadium, and why shouldn't? Manchester United supporters who for 
18 or 19 years have complained about this drain of debt that's gone from the club and there's nothing to show for it because all of that money's left the club, why shouldn't United supporters be rewarded with this thing? Because I, I believe that you can build a new stadium and I'm not arguing for or against. I'm, I'm arguing the positives of either situation because obviously the positive of rebuilding or redeveloping Old Trafford is that everything stays the same but he's shinier, and so he's kept everything in the same way, and hopefully they, they can find a compromise to build over the, the track with the houses behind and everything mm. like that. Um, all of those things, which I know are completely separate conversations, but that's the, the, the plus for keeping it. The, pl- the plus for moving or building a new stadium, ideally on the same premises, you can still keep all those um, parts of history. You can... People might think this is sacrilege. You can move that original tunnel and have it be a feature in the new stadium. You can move some of the same features that are in the new sta- old stadium, put it in the new one. You can move them and it can still be the same thing because that stadium has been, it was bombed, it was demolished. The new mm. stand, the Stratford end was demolished. The K stand has been demolished and rebuilt. The mm. Megastore was moved to put, be put on the front. The statues have been moved around. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the everything of that stadium has been rebuilt. So don't hold on to the sentiment in the aspects of oh, it's, the physical it's, form. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly because because you can rebuild that, and and there's nothing wrong with someone who wants there to be a new stadium, ideally on the same site, because you can still keep the same features and you still got the same history, and it still ties into the tradition of United outgrowing what they. Because obviously it takes a long time to outgrow an original premise that was intended for 100,000, but then eventually came with seating, obviously. It reduced the element of what was available for that capacity, and they've done well to get it up to around 80,000, considering that there is that the issue of the, the South Stand development. So what now they've outgrown it. Now they've outgrown it, and they can fill it where they can fill another twenty percent over the top of that. There's nothing um, wrong with that, and that's that's where I am. It. Yeah, and that yeah, wasn't yeah. as probably probably not as long a monologue as you were expecting, <laughs> really. But but that's where I am with it. I'm I'm on either side. I can see the pluses of it, and I'm not. I, I'm just not here for anyone who argues down the opinion of another one based on tradition, because yeah. either either as a root in tradition. No, I think that's all fair, and I think if you asked Real Madrid fans, uh, is the because the Bernabeu has been completely redone. I, I've been there quite a lot, actually. A long story that we don't need to go into, but I, I used to have a Spanish girlfriend whose father was on the board at Real Madrid anyway. So I'd been there quite a lot. And it was just a horrible concrete bowl. Nothing to it other than uh, there was a roof on one stand and there was nothing about the inside of it. Not particularly nice. Now, they've completely redeveloped it uh, on the outside with a new skin, all the concourses redeveloped, brand new roof over all of the stands, pitch moves. Yeah, it's almost nothing like the Bernabeu of old. But I don't think there'll be any Real Madrid fans say that, well, you've destroyed my history. Um, and no. I don't really think, you know, Tottenham may feel differently. I don't know. They've got this fantastic new stadium, which everyone agrees is fantastic. They've done it in a way that feels... I've not been there yet, but everyone seems to think it adds to the atmosphere and so on. I've, I've been to the Emirates, and I hate it because it's the worst kind of modern stadium. It's just the yeah. worst kind of... There's yeah. just nothing there. There's no soul to it at all, you know? Someone just farted out a, 
a plan. I mean, you could ask ChatGBT to give you an architectural plan for a new stadium right now, and it, it wouldn't be as soulless as the Emirates is. Fucking whole. Wow. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, and, you know, you can do this. What I'm saying is you can do it right and you can do it wrong. You could do yeah. the development wrong. It would destroy all the history and maybe we don't like it. So I think what really, really matters is what comes next, how they do it, how sympathetic it is to United's history, incorporating all the things that matter to us, whether it's a brand new stadium or a redeveloped current one. I think... On the, on, on the Telegraph piece that said, hey, they may be looking for some levelling up money here, I, I suspect that's really not talking about Old Trafford itself, but the surrounds um, yeah. and the ability to build a kind of village type thing that City have got and uh, do some redevelopment. on the, the kind of last piece of Salford that's not, you know, because the keys are, uh, are completely different than they were 20 years ago, even 10 years yeah. ago with some of it. And this would stretch to, to, to this part of, part of Old Trafford. And, and well, redevelop the whole area, and there's a lot to redevelop there. Obviously, there's yeah. basically the freight terminal and a bunch of car parks, and um, and yeah. there's a lot of opportunity. So, and it, and it looks like, and the, the thing I would say is, they're thinking big. Clearly, yeah, yeah. One, not not just one, in size of stadium, but in terms of like the vision. No, yeah, and that's that's the thing. What I was saying earlier about the United moving forward. This is this is that, and I don't think, considering that it's part of the new ownership, part of ownership structure, and part of that progression, that I would only see that as a positive. The one thing I would say, just to close on the points of the tradition aspect, is where the Jimmy Murphy statue is um, placed, which is at the back of the Stretford End. I would, because that's the only statue really that is where his position has any value so you can move Busbane, you can move the the tri- and i know people might say that this is trivial but it is this is what matters emotionally to some people i count myself in in these people so sir alex ferguson you would presume the new stadium will have a sir alex ferguson stand so have that stand adorned with the statue you might have a Smart Busby. They might even call it something like the Smart Busby Arena or something like that. Or they might just call it Old Trafford again, which mm. I don't think anyone would object to either. Ineos um, Old Trafford. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah, maybe. But the one place that does have some kind of value is where Jimmy Murphy's statue is placed because that's placed where he's overlooking the old, sort of behind the Stratford end where he mm. would have the players having a kick about. That's what it's there for. So, but there's no nothing to say that that stitch, uh, statue can't remain in situ in that position. If they if they were to knock down the stadium or repurpose it or whatever, that state that statue can remain in the same place, and that would be the only thing that really the only thing that I've got any particular bugbear about because they can everything else, the even the Munich Memorial because things like that even the the old the brick with the names that's mm-hmm. been remade and redeveloped yeah, yeah. and moved around so all of those things all of these things can either be moved or remade or redeveloped apart from and I'm pretty sure that this is the case I might have got something wrong I hope I haven't but I'm pretty sure that the Jimmy Murphy thing is pretty much the only people might argue that they they're attached to the old Dennis Law statue that's actually inside the Stratford end at the mm. top. But you could move that into a new, you know what I mean? You could even make that little feature of a new ground and put little statuettes within because people always argue about how many players should have statues. And 
we all want. If United had a statue for anyone who, everyone who was as impactful as Thierry Henry and, and Arsene Wenger, you know, like they've got outside the Emirates or all the City players, then you wouldn't oh, be able I to. I mean, you just in. have to put a City shirt on to get a statue now. So, um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and th- there are a lot of players deserving of it. Um, so maybe, maybe that's a feature for the new space of, uh, you know, in, inside the stadium that you could have something. There, but the the only thing that really has any emotional resonance to me outside, uh, not the only thing, but I mean it, it, that'd be my sticking point. If you're going to knock it down, or if you're going to build a new stadium, make sure that you keep Jimmy in the same place as what he is, because at least then, if you do that with the new stadium, when people are walking from the tram, the Old Trafford tram stop yeah. down, so they'd have to walk past Jimmy they would, to yeah, the new yeah. stadium. Yeah. And then they'd say, well, why Why is that important? Well, this is where the old stadium was. This is where the Busby Babes played. This is where they trained. And that would be a nice fitting monument. And it's still a part of the history. It's still there. Um, but, yeah, that's the only thing. That's the only sticking point with that. But the rest of it, I mean, I, I, yeah, that, I, <clears> that <throat> is the thing. What you said about the, the soullessness of, of it, that does, that is something. But you can't, you don't know how that's going to happen. You know, like when Arsenal opened, can you remember it was, they took a long time to settle there. They took a really long time. And now it's like, they've got, um, it took a long time for Wenger to have his imprint on Arsenal in this kind of way. Because I don't, when Wenger inherited Arsenal, they were a physically, traditionally English team. So he had the spine, and then he added the continental stuff to them. And then when they moved to the Emirates, it was only then they became the slick passing team, like a mini, a Barcelona light kind of thing. They, they were Barcelona without the stomach for the fight, basically. But they redeveloped their entire identity based on, and I wouldn't want United to do that. Yeah. As, you know, you, you evolve, yes. Um, but uh, it's funny because a stadium can. We've seen it with different teams. Arsenal are an, are an example of that. They can be redefined as an identity. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to see that with United and have the soul subbed out of them by, like you said, the the kind of ball that we've seen. Ineos ball. Yeah, we, yeah. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, there are some fantastic stadiums around the world, and there's a blueprint there for what can be done, and financing will be available. Whether it comes directly from Ineos or Sir Jim's pockets or or some kind of debt, just a last oh. point on the on the debt and the money. So redevelopment money from the government. There's a lot of people being snarky about this. I'm sure it would be for physical redevelopment in the surrounds, which I think contributes to the local community. One, um, and the idea that um, government hasn't been involved in football finance in some way is it's just completely fanciful. I mean, obviously, Manchester City Council still own the Etihad and, and Manchester I, I was, City are leasing it. Um, I was going to say this. Yeah, on a fully repairing basis. So they, they are, they you know, all the expansion they've done recently is all paid for by the uh, Abu Dhabi Royal Family, who are officially not the owners. <laughs> nod, nod, wink, wink. Yeah. And West Ham, obviously... Um, have the new stadium, the Olympic Stadium. They're paying three million pounds uh, a year lease, and they don't have to cover any of the repairing costs. That are incredible steal yeah. for ninety nine years. Good. Both Arsenal and Tottenham borrowed money from the Bank of England pandemic fund at incredibly low interest rates. So that is a government institution that they're helping with their finances. It's not a brand new stadium, but and then 
Kieran Maguire, who I do think is fantastic, the, the football finance guy, was being all snarky yeah. about it on Twitter. By the way, do you know how much tax Brighton have paid? Corporate, corporation tax, that is. Not, not VAT or HMRC wage individual taxes. So that's just passed on. Do you know how much they paid in the last 10 years? Tax tell to me, us, the taxpayer. Come on, tell me. Zero pounds. No. Zero pounds. Oh, no. uh, do you know how rich their owner is? Fucking rich. So Yeah, very rich. Yeah. 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 Uh, well. Uh, and he's made his money fleecing poker players. <laughs> yeah, he's very good. Then I Maybe, maybe Manchester should launch another bid to host the Commonwealth Games. And oh, we get Freebie Stadium, can, yeah. But yeah, then we'd have to have I, a track. It's only fair. Yeah, well, track. Track is a track. Do you know we could have Manchester United running athletic squad? Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, actually, right? they were they were thought they were formed they were formed as a New and Eath athletic cricket and athletic club. So now we will have an arena. We can knock down the cricket ground as well and just have everything in one. Manchester United baseball. With the, he's talking about a retractable floor. We can have basket. The basketball team can be reborn from the eighties. Yeah. Oh my God. We could have like a multi sports <laughs> no team. Thanks. But yeah, yeah, good well, dude. Yeah. And, well, fine, well, whatever. I'm given, I'm given that the big ideas. Maybe, uh, maybe they should turn it into a velodrome. I know there's a very uh, high quality velodrome in Manchester anyway, but yeah. we can have another one there. That, exactly. Yeah. If you're complaining about the steep banks on uh, the Old Trafford pitch now, yeah. imagine what it is if uh, you fall off the pitch onto the velodrome. We'd be going up, of course, but um, that, that would make it interesting, wouldn't it? That's a sensational idea. That is really yeah, good. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, someone design that for me, will you? <laughs> Old Trafford with velo velodrome track. All right, we're getting silly now. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, like some worthwhile reading those pieces. Yeah. Uh, if, if you don't want to subscribe to the the Telegraph, there are uh, paywall sites out there. I've heard someone told me that work perfectly fine. Someone told me again. Yeah. Very good. Aston Villa at the weekend. Uh, at uh, Villa Park, uh, kind of interesting season because they've they've had a really strong season, Villa, but they just got spanked by Chelsea in the FA Cup. And uh, Enzo Fernandez, by the way, if you haven't seen that, as a special free kick, um, which he seemed to enjoy. But so, what to make of them? They've scored a ton of goals this season. Yeah, Emery's got them playing a kind of attacking, like high line brave style of football that I didn't expect yeah. from an Emery side and but he's got them doing that they're scoring tons of goals they're, they're playing really well they dropped off in form a little bit and then they just got hammered by Chelsea so what Villa are we going to get yeah it's interesting you did say they've had a good season since just before Christmas maybe they've struggled at home I know they drove with Sheffield United yeah they lost against Newcastle so they've not been great at Villa Park recently yeah yeah they are a team. Yeah, because when they'd had a great record up until Sheffield United drew because they'd beaten all the teams. They'd beaten Arsenal, they'd beaten City, would be in there. But they are a, they're a team, and we saw this in the first game against them on Boxing Day. They're a team that United have great joy and great pain against. They, and he could either, he could easily go either way because. 
They've got all the pace in all the areas to absolutely destroy our defence, particularly with Martin Martinez out, wide yeah. back in. Yeah. Um, but they also, like you said, that they leave too much space. That United, I mean, that's why United came back on Boxing Day because they mm. were overconfident. They overcommitted to the tumor lead that they got, and United caught them out on that, and they never showed up shop this time out. I I would hope United are more the the Ten Hogs more wary of what Villa can do or more respectful of what Villa can do, considering the fact that we got hammered there last season as well. And they they could have I mean that could have been a four nil. They could have easily been a very, very distressing day for Ten Hag, that one at Old Trafford. That yeah. could have been a, a tipping point, something he wasn't coming back from because of the fact that we lost to West Ham in the game before. So he's got to be very respectful of the fact that they can cause us significant hurt. And I'm talking about uh, like a, a sobering 405 uh, goal defeat they can inflict on us. Make no mistake about that. United can't afford to be overconfident in a game with a game against a team that have got the kind of rapid talents that they've got. Now, the thing is, they still do have... First of all, they've got an obligation to attack at home, which means they'll start with an eye line, and they've got the obligation to try and curry some favour back with the fans because of the poor recent form. Yeah. So that kind of thing will play into United's hands if they play a kind of disciplined game. Now, are United capable of doing that? I'm not sure that they are, especially without Martinez. Now they've they do have the other things like they've got Casemiro in better form. They've got Manu in great form inside of him. So these kind of things play in our favour. And of course, we played very well at Wolves last week as well for, for large parts. Apart yeah, from the yeah. Half brain fart. Best before, um, best first half of the season. Yeah, I, I I couldn't predict it because all of the elements are there for it to go horribly wrong or beautifully right. Yeah. But that's part of what makes this such an entertaining prospect of a game, really, because of the fact that you you got a strong feeling that you are at least going to be entertained from it. Well, look, I, I, I'm definitely worried about Martinez being out and, and Harry coming in. Not because not I'm bashing on Harry for no particular reason, um, but because of the, the lack of pace that Harry, yeah. you know, Maguire and Varane have in the centre there. The fact that it's away from home, Villa will have the onus to attack and will probably be a little bit deeper and play some more slightly more transitional football, I think plays into our favour a little bit. This is where Villa get caught out in transitional football. Yeah. You know, the stylistic matchup and the fact that it's away from home actually gives me a little bit of confidence. We'll see. United got this wrong in the past. The the challenge with Martinez being out, of course, is he's just he just moves the ball so quickly and it really does. Uh, you can over tactico this, can't you? But yeah, I think it really does make a difference in terms of how United build up and how they get the ball forward. Harry is a good passer, but he just does things slowly. Yeah. So, actually, if you look at the data on progressive passes and distance, Maguire and Varane are almost exactly identical, right in the middle of the pack. Uh, Premier really? League pack That's that is. So, so there is that. It's definitely a concern. I think apart from that, there won't be a lot of changes. I, I don't imagine that he's going to change the forward line and the midfield around too much. I mean, Casemiro, mainly you want them to be playing together. You want them to find an understanding. I do think it gives a good balance to that United midfield. And up front, you know, clearly Marcus not been in the best form this season, but has now got a few goals in a row. And you want him to be playing off the left, where that is much more likely than anywhere else. Garnacho seems to have found 
You know, he seems to have adapted to playing off the right perfectly easily, perfectly well. Yeah. Doesn't seem to have impacted his game. Might not be exactly what he wants, but as we saw at the weekend, he can score with his left foot as well. And obviously, Rasmus is, is in a good vein of form now. So I was looking at the yeah. 21st, 21st Club 21 group stats because they do all the performance stats that they benchmark between players and also across leagues. And so if you take take that as a model, Rasmus Hoyland is one of the most improved players in Europe this season. I was surprised when I looked at the data, actually, because um, we don't really think about it because he, he took a long time to score a Premier League goal. But take it in the round and actually his performance has been very strong. And I, I, like sure. It's just data. It's a it's a talking point, isn't it? But clearly he's, he's coming into some form. I was like, kind of really encouraged by the first time hit and goal of the weekend because he just took it really cleanly and that was not a strike yeah. of someone who's lacking confidence at all no so that, no that... I, sorry I'm, no, no. I, I like him i like him a lot i wasn't as concerned i think i've made the point on the pod a few times i wasn't as concerned by as many people seem to be saying about the lack of premier league goals because he was still scoring and he was yeah. scoring in the champions league which is I guess it might be a little bit easier to score in the Champions League these days than the Premier League, but he's still scoring goals. But it, there was obviously a point in December once we were eliminated, especially once we were eliminated from the Champions League, where questions were being asked, and he seemed to be struggling with that because people he knew that he was always getting asked about it. And regardless of the fact that he'd been scoring in the Champions League, and good goals as well, by the way, in the Champions yeah. League. The one, was it against Galatasaray, where he ran from the halfway line that it was yeah. a beautiful goal. So I was never worried about that, but you you always do get worried if a striker um, looks to be showing like they're struggling with signs of confidence. I think we saw it with Andy Cole a few times early in his career. And I say early, maybe I made this point on this podcast before, where his first two years, he seemed to struggle with confidence. Cole, because he didn't seem to know where he fit into the system. That's because he didn't really gel well with Cantona. But he did seem, you could visibly see him struggle with the confidence. And Hoyland, I started to worry if we were seeing that, particularly against Forrest, because nobody was getting to him. Now, it seems like that attacking unit and the players are back. And yeah, all right, it's an obvious point of the stronger team makes a stronger argument for winning games and stronger cohesion. But sometimes, as you were saying earlier, you can overcomplicate things, over tactical it. Sometimes, simplest answers are the most accurate ones. Martinez making the simple passes and being progressive with it. Like Hoyland just having better players who are facing the right way, being told to cross the ball more often, being told to service him, making sure that they're getting the ball into a striker to help him score. Teammates helping teammates. You were seeing that with Garnacho and Hoyland. And I think the penny looks like it's starting to drop with Rashford, apart from the second half against West Ham at the weekend because as soon as it seemed that Garnacho and Rash- uh, Hoyland had already scored, then there seemed to be a bit of greed in Rashford's play to sort of say, I want to get in on the act. Mm. Whereas if he just if he just not thought like that, United would have probably made it a little bit more here. And sometimes, and some of these players, the penny hasn't dropped with them, the, the, the better the team performs, the better the individuals are received and the better... Options yeah, for yeah. the individuals as well. But I think generally, that's right. Yeah. The fans seem to have forgiven Marcus Rashford. I mean, there was a lot of post-Belfast anger online, but the songs were out for him 
two games in a row now. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus is on the piss. And I'm sure they will be at Villa Park as well. Um, and I think it's right. He he made a mistake. He privately apologised to Eric Ten Hag and, and John Murta. He basically got dropped from the Newport game or dropped himself. It's unclear exactly who said what at what time. And we've moved on. And I hope, I really hope, there's nothing, unless there's something behind the scenes we don't know about. And that's been the question about Marcus all season, really. What What is going on with him exactly? Why does he seem to not be quite focused? Why does he, Why is his confidence gone? What is, what is eating away at him? With a few goals recently, we've got this incident behind him. Let's hope he has a fantastic second half of the season because if United are going to move up the table, get into the European places, progress as a club, Eric's going to keep his job. We're going to need Marcus Rashford scoring. Yeah. You know, he's not going to get another 30 goals again, but if he can get another 10 goals between now and the end of the season, we'll all feel a lot yeah. better about it and United will be in a much better position and, and United are better for Marcus Rashford playing as well as he can, undoubtedly so. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I really hope, you know, for his sake, for the team's sake, that the, uh, the recent sort of run of goals, um, and we'll forget about the drinking, sort of, and we'll... Uh, <laughs> Will um, will translate into something yeah much stronger going forward yeah we need it so yeah agreed all right well it should be a good one like there have been some classics at Villa Park coming back from goals down cup games and Premier League games I think we came back from two nil down in one of each didn't we if I remember correctly the, the fantastic one where Rude scored twice and we came back to win the game I think that was a cup yeah. game wasn't it probably probably on your tapes there. Yeah, um, I've listened. I actually listened to Schmeichel throwing a fit about it after. Yeah, with the with the Solskjaer scored in that game as well, didn't yeah, he? And yeah, yeah. That's one of the. I mean, it's hard to think at the time that United weren't really having a lot of success in the cups since the treble because it took like 2004 till they won the FA Cup again. So yeah, they had a bit of bad luck in the FA Cup, but that was. Um, it's just proof that sometimes. Like Barcelona in '84, sometimes the occasion you don't always need a trophy at the end of it because the way that people still remember that game, and I think the fact that that came it came maybe three months after the Spurs one where we were three 0 down at half time, and all right we didn't win the league we didn't win anything that season but there was that sort of and maybe this was a bad part of what what was starting to disintegrate about that side a little bit of overconfidence. That it didn't matter how far we went behind or how long left there was, United would still find a way to to win the game. And we were like, was it fifteen minutes or something? When we were down two 0 in yeah. Villa Park, and and still came back to win on the night. It was just an absolutely mental last twenty minutes. And and like you know, I wasn't in the away end, but I, I imagine that if you were, that's top five ever. Because I bet you, you just can't top it. It's absolutely mental. It just and they've been a good ground for that, and, and helped by the fact that we played a few semi-finals there in the nineties. You know the Chelsea game, but the greatest game that we've ever played, arguably, was played at Villa Park as well. So there is that nostalgia yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, it's, it's one of those semi-final re- replay, Ryan Giggs, and all of that. One of those nice old stadiums as well. That's got its own character, its own history yeah. that we've got an association with, like the Riverside. 
No, we've got an history with the Riverside because we've won a league title up there, but it's not it's not Ayrs and Park in the way that they would have wanted it to be. We've got our own history, but I still it's better that that history is at one of those old grounds like Villa Park. You know what I mean? You'd hear if Villa Park got knocked down and they opened the Villains Arena because it wouldn't. You'd <laughs> be like NEC our own or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you, because then your own history is gone. Your own club's history is gone from that as well. So, uh, yeah, be thankful for the fights while the Villains Arena still isn't built and they haven't decided to migrate to a different set of walls and a different pitch, that we've still got history there as well because regardless of what happens on, on Sunday, at least we've got the memories of our better days before, before when we weren't winning anything with kids and all that sort of stuff. All right. I think we'll leave it there. There's um, much change ahead. I think we uh, will get. I guess we'll go deeper into it once the uh, the partial takeover has been ratified, and I think we're going to get a lot of news about changes in the kind of sporting functions um, at United. Um, I imagine there's some people in there in in those functions. They're fairly nervous about what's coming, or maybe they've even been given the nod already. But uh, there'll be changes coming, so a lot to talk about there. And short term, come on, United at the weekend. Um, it's a big one. Let's keep this uh, momentum going. 